to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hello. What's happening, Derek? I am not here right now. You are not here. <laughs> this is a Fig Newton of your imagination. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Where are you right now, Derek? Right now, uh, I'll be, uh, right now I am, as people are listening to this, I am on Cedar Lake in Algonquin Park. You're on a canoe trip. Mm-hmm. By yourself? No, the family was with it's me, of course. family. Yes. How nice. Did you get a canoe dog yet? No, no, no. <sighs> not getting one of those. Dress Beckett up in a canoe dog suit. <laughs> we're not ready for that. Like we thought. You want to borrow one? We thought we were, were going to get a dog, but, uh, but, uh, we, uh, I, I think the kid, we just, are, we're only ready for cats right now. I had dogs in the past. Cats. It's a, cats. It's, it's you a know commitment. what the problem with cats are? <laughs> They're not dogs. <laughs> yes, I know. No, I grew up with dogs. I had dogs. You want to borrow one for the trip? No. You sure? Might change everybody's mind on getting a dog. (laughs) It would be interesting. Definitely be interesting. She's right behind you snoozing. (laughs) You could ask her. But then she'll bark at me every time I come back from a Thunderbox. She accompanies you to the Thunderbox. Oh, that'd be handy. That'd be handy. She just accompanies people to the Thunderbox. Where are you guys going? (laughs) Oh, you're going on a walk through the woods. I'll come with you. Oh, you're sitting on the box just like everybody else does. (laughs) All right. I'll wait. Yeah. So you're uh, heading to the north side of Algonquin Park. I am. Checking out Cedar and Radiant. Yes. Whatnot. And when we were booking it, speaking of Radiant, and so this is the north end of the park. It's... I don't think of it as a very busy place, but we really had to really, it took us a while to plan this trip because uh, where we wanted to be and, and get to and timelines and traveling and whatnot, we needed to be on Radiant on Tuesday night and we can't be on Radiant on Tuesday night because the whole lake is booked. Right. It's like, That's, what? Everybody's Radiant? going there now. How is Radiant booked? Because nobody can get in off the Highway 60 <laughs> corridor. Yeah. Right? Yeah, everything is so busy there yeah. now that a lot of people are just heading farther north up to mm-hmm. Killarney and Tomogamy. Yeah. Right? So on Tuesday night, we're going to be on, or is it Wednesday night? Tuesday night or Wednesday night, we're going to be on Surprise Rapids. Surprise! Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, that's something different. Yeah. You could be ca- you could be uh, fishing right from yep. shore. I haven't decided if I'm going to bring fishing gear or not. You're going to look at that and go, oh, I bet you there'd be some nice trout in there. <laughs> and you're going to wish yeah. you brought your fish. I think I'm going to be busy with the kids. We're going to be doing, well, we we always, uh, for family trips when we were on Gonkin or wrote Tomogamy or whatever, we always, uh, day trips would be like finding a portage. We hike the portages. Yeah. Right? Don't carry the canoe. We just hike the portages. Okay. What portage are we going to do next? Right? Yeah. Or we find a beach because Beckett loves to sit there. He he could spend four hours on a beach digging in the sand and and he's quite content. Well, hopefully if you're up on Cedar, the big island site has a beach. We have. I've done satellite shots of it. We've been looking at that. So with luck, we can get that one. Mm-hmm. And Cedar, I mean, there's a lot of historical stuff up that way. Mm. Of course, there's a township of Brent. There's yeah. the old... Um, See a uh, cemetery that I think you don't actually see a whole bunch of things. There's just a giant one cross, but there's an old cemetery yep. there from Plus the logging the days. Meteors, crater, there's yeah, crater the Brent trail. Crater Trail. Brent Crater Trail is a two kilometer loop, but allows scenic views and exploration mm-hmm. of the Brent Meteorite Crater. So we're definitely doing that. One of the world's most famous fossil meteorite craters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can go down there, and there you can go down there, and there's a couple of lakes down there too. Do day trips up the Nipissing, yep. check out the falls on the Petawawa River, uh, head up to Oralee Lake and Laurel Lake. And then if you want, you can go into Little Cochon Lake. Mm-hmm. That's, that's some really nice yep. area up there to paddle. Uh, marsh where the Nipissing enter Cedar Lake is a good spot for moose. Okay, yes. This is the big marsh. Uh, do I have that picture here? No. Where's that picture? I don't know, but you had a picture of moose somewhere around here. Yeah, no, the one with uh, the 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 front of the canoe in that big marsh area, like big open expanse, oh. blue blue sky. Oh, and yeah. And then you yeah, see yeah. the green marsh at the end. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that Cedar Lake. I thought I had it here. Anyway, uh, that moose right behind you in that picture, and everybody can see it from here. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, on uh, right where I'm talking. Okay, Cushnow. Right, yeah, no, uh, on the uh, where the Nipissing enters Cedar. Lake. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, there's some good trout fishing spots on Cedar. Mm-hmm. I don't know about 
radiant. I've never actually fished radiant. Yeah, radiant's kind of weird. It's half shallow, half deep. And yeah, you got to know where to go there. Yeah. Only drawback to the trip you're taking that I can see is that long drive all the way up and around the top end of the park. And it's even longer than you think. And then there's that road that, that from the highway straight down into Brent, that dirt mm-hmm. road. Yeah. That's fine if they've graded the road. <laughs> yes. But you get there after <laughs> rain and after a long weekend and, and they haven't graded it yet. Yeah. Oh, it is bumpy. It is horrible. But if that's the worst of it. Yeah. And I've got some extra mileage to do because uh, we don't have a three-person canoe because the kids are big enough that our my 14-foot canoe no longer works for us. Right. And I've got two canoes, but uh, we only have one stern paddler in the family. So we're going to get a three-person canoe, and they don't have any up at Brent. They don't have any in Huntsville. They have them in Oxtong. So I have to go into Oxtong, get the canoe. Oh, you're kidding. Go all the way up to Brent. They won't then, ship it out to. No, they said they don't. They don't do that. They can't even shuttle it to Huntsville. I never even thought to ask that. But I see if they. I'd see yeah. if they can shuttle it. Come on, talk to Gord Baker. <laughs> Gord, do you know who this is? This is Derek from Paddling it's not Adventures that part of the Radio. Way. It's not that. Oh, part it of is the way. though. But they said that the uh, they they. It's not that they're not available and booked. It's just that they don't want to keep them in Oxtung. <sighs> Shuttle one over to I did Huntsville. ask them. I said, yeah. do you move these? Will Come you move on. to Brent for me? They said, no, no, we won't. Oh, not to Brent. They yeah. probably won't take it up to Brent, but they might yeah. take it to Huntsville for yeah, you. Maybe. You know, I mean, because that's going to be a good hour out of your way there and back. Mm-hmm. And it's <laughs> the uh, the camping trip, the, the actual backcountry camping part is uh, 260 bucks or something. Yeah. Seven nights. Yeah. And the canoe rental is 406. <laughs> Ooh, ow. Ooh, ow. Yeah. You need to get Siobhan learning how to paddle. I know. Stern paddle. I know. Yeah. That's a big yeah. chunk. But can you fit two canoes on your car? I could. I just have to put wider bars. Yeah. I have a trailer too that they would go on. Oh, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. But yeah, you need, you need to yeah. do that. Well, hopefully the weather's good for you too. Yeah. Should be yeah. good. I checked the long range forecast. It's, it's supposed to be really good. Yeah, except for all those days with the thunder and lightning and hail, this should be fantastic. <laughs> Kids looking forward to it? Oh, always. They're always complaining when I go camping and I don't take them. Well, they're getting older now too. They so. are. Yep, but they're not that old. They're still they're still excited about camping. So Stella's probably going to be the first one that drops off the list because uh, you know she's going to be a surly teenager and. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> Mind you, my my guys were still loving camping and canoe tripping and mm-hmm. what. What you find is they prefer canoe tripping with you by themselves. Okay, because that's what I ended up doing. Yeah. I ended up taking Mackenzie on a on a, like a three day weekend trip. Yeah, I'd take Ariane on a three day weekend trip. Yeah, and then Tracy and I would go on like so a four or five day trip. So I can see where that would probably be better because the two of them are getting on each other's nerves a bit. Right. So. Don't take both of them with you because you know only one's coming back and your wife, I will tell you, your wife will be upset. If you don't, if you leave with two kids and only come, come back, back with, with one, one, you, my friend, are in trouble. Trust me. Yeah. Trust me. With more than just my wife. Yeah. Well, and if you end up bringing three back, somebody else is going to be in trouble and your wife's going to be wondering who this third kid is. So, you're losing. It doesn't matter what you do. We've adopted someone. So yeah, just take one at a time. No, my my guys really enjoyed doing that because mm-hmm. you get the one on one time and stuff like yep. that, you know. Yeah, and uh, we've only ever, ever done this families. Like I, I eventually want to start. Like we were we were supposed to do. Uh, Becca doesn't like hiking. Stella does. So what we're planning on doing is uh, we were going to go. I was going to me and Becca were going to canoe on Rain Lake, and Siobhan and Stella were going to hike on the uh, Western Uplands Trail, yep. which is also touches onto Rain yep. Lake. And so we're going to do a, a mixed uh, trip, uh, so a week where we'd have a couple nights together, but most of the part would be apart. But see, we did that when we we'd camp at Pog Lake, mm-hmm. and then I'd take Mackenzie in backcountry for a couple of days, and Tracy would do stuff with Ariana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, I'd take yeah. Ariana out paddling for stuff. Like Ariana and I paddled from Whitney to Pog one summer, mm-hmm. and then the next year we went to Cache Lake and paddled all the way back to Pog. Yeah. So we've paddled from Whitney all the way to Cache Lake on two separate trips. Mm-hmm. So there was just that last from the front gate to yeah, yeah. to Cache, and yeah. we would have paddled straight across the Highway huh. 60 corridor, yeah. right? So, uh, yeah, you know what? We do just the, the trade-off. So yeah. each kid gets some alone time with mom and dad. And 
That's that not a bad idea. Yeah. For the most part, I plan trips away from them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's absolutely horrible. No, it's not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? And and they like that that time away from everybody too. Yes, they would. You know. Yeah. They get their alone time, and you know they'll sit in front of that. Like there's one time Mackenzie, I took him. I took him to Pine Tree Lake in Algonquin. Okay. And the one night had the fire going, and there was this really nice sunset. And he's just sitting there. I think he's reading Slash's bio, bio oh, okay. uh, yeah. biography. Yeah. I think it's some some rock yeah. guy's biography. He's just sitting there reading that, enjoying the fire, and I'm just like. Apparently, somebody uh, abducted my kid and left me this thing. <laughs> but, yeah, they like it, getting yeah. just one-on-one time with mom and dad. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's fun. So, yeah. So, it should be a good trip. Yes. I'm I think you guys will like it. it. Yeah. Got some new gear to play with. Yeah. You got uh, the new... I, I, I'm, okay, trying uh, to, I'm trying out a thermocell, so right. I, I don't know how bad the bugs are going to be, but it's really a spring trip thing. I don't I don't know what the bugs are like this time of year, but uh, in June, they were horrendous well, they weren't, when they we weren't, did our trip. Yeah, they weren't too bad when we were up a couple in Travers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was maybe, like, first thing in the morning, all of a sudden they showed up for about yeah. a half an hour. Yeah. And they stayed with that night. Maybe they were out for about an hour before they all mm-hmm. disappeared again. So, But at least if, if you know they're coming out yeah. in that hour. Be ready for it. Give it a whirl and see. There's always that dusk moment of dusk. Yeah. I, but uh, mostly I want to try it out, test it out, see how it works. And the other thing I got is I got myself a jet boil because, I don't know, did we talk about the The fire, maple? The fire maple. So yeah. I had a fire maple, which is a, a ripoff of the jet boil. And, uh, but the thing, uh, we used it for four days and it just stopped working. Four and days or six days? Partway through, yeah. it was yeah. So yeah, it was great yeah. up until it stopped working. Yeah, it worked great <laughs> until it didn't. And uh, when I reached out to Fire Maple, they said, "Well, do you have your receipt?" <laughs> I delete all my emails, so yeah, see, the only receipt I, I had do. was email. Yeah, I've got all my receipts. Mm-hmm. I keep them. Uh, well, I, I get the printed copy. Oh, would you like us to send you an email copy too? Sure, why not? Yeah, <laughs> good deal. So yeah, so so you know what? It's this. I bought this at sale, and I've got a receipt, a, a digital receipt. Mm-hmm. That I can't lose, right? So if anything goes wrong with it, well, does that maple have a uh, the disc for that'll fit on the top of your? I'm going to try it out. I don't know if they're made the same way. It's uh, the the fire maple is a larger pot mm-hmm. because that you know remember I tried to fit the fuel canister inside. Yeah, it fits in the fire maple. It doesn't fit in the jet boil. Mm-hmm. So the pot is taller and skinnier on the jet boil. And uh, shorter and fatter on the uh, fire maple. Yeah. They've made it to fit that larger uh, fuel can. Yeah. Huh. And mm. so, huh. so for that reason, I don't think the pot holder. Part so you'll have to spend the thirteen bucks and get it and get a pot holder thing. <sighs> well, you better hurry. When are yeah. you guys leaving? Or a couple tent pegs. Oh yeah, that'll work. Yeah, just just some air gap. That's all you need. Yep. And then I'll have really hot tent pegs. Well, you got you got time to get it. <laughs> So, yeah. well, you should, you should have fun, I think. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast. It's Good. always, it's always fun. Going camping with the kids is always fun. Oh, the family time. Mm-hmm. You know, you need it. Yeah. You know, and it's different than going to like a hotel and a resort or something. Yeah. Like that, right? Which we never do. Yeah. No. I, you know what? And I think you see all the things with Disneyland and, and oh, you got to go to, you got to take your kids to Disneyland and take them to Disney World. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, I, I do not. No, no. Never been. Don't plan on going. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I'd rather take them north. Yep. However, let's talk a little bit about the south, just slightly south, south of us. Slightly south? Saratoga Springs, New York. There's oh. a horse race track. Wait, what? Saratoga Racecourse. I read this. I missed this one. Did you? How? Was this in the email you sent me? I missed this. Yes, it was. Saratoga Springs, New York. There's a horse racetrack, the Saratoga Racecourse. Question asked by most Saratoga Racecourse first-timers who look past the horses is, why is there a canoe in the infield lake? (laughs) The answer? Not even long-time Saratogians are quite sure. No so it's just really a canoe sitting there? There's a canoe. 
And it's just sitting there. No one really knows how long the vessel has been a Saratoga icon. In 1959, do the math, New York Herald Tribune's Bill Laudner wrote that the canoe had been in the lake since the 19th century. Oh, wow. But there is no other known documentation to support the claim. Saratoga track superintendent Ann Clare told Laudner she'd been at the track since 1927 and the canoe was already in its customary place when she got there and took over its upkeep. <laughs> that's hilarious. So that's like a hundred years I at gotta, least. I got to do a Google image search. Uh, do Google maps even. Uh, well, no one alive remembers the canoe's origin story that hasn't stopped sports writers from making guesses both serious and not so throughout the years 1939 jack peerless mcgrath mused that the famous blue canoe according to legend provided transport for betters who guessed wrong back in the metropolitan track at the end of the season uh, by way of the hudson river so if you guessed wrong they'd shoot you back that way Jimmy Cannon of the New York Post said, There was a pale blue canoe mysteriously moored and motionless in the middle of the tideless lake in the infield. It is there, they say, if a horse or player decides to drown himself and changes his mind. <laughs> so if you lose a lot of money at the track and you figure you're going to drown yourself and the last minute decide to change your mind, you can just rescue yourself in the canoe. Indeed, the only detail these creative speculations could agree upon was the color of the canoe. So why is the canoe no longer blue? That one we can answer. In 1960, or sorry, by 1962, the light blue canoe had already been part of the track's history for at least several decades. But in that year, the vessel became associated forevermore with the Traverse Stakes. After Bo Prince won the 1961 Midsummer Derby, the canoe is removed from the lake, painted in the devil's red and blue colors of the winning Calumet Farms, before being reintroduced to Saratoga patrons on opening day the following year. Turns out the fresh coat of paint rankled the delicate sensibilities <laughs> of many traditionalists. I regret to report that the canoe in the infield lake is no longer painted blue, David Alexander wrote in the New York Herald Tribune in 1962. Nobody seems to know where this canoe came from originally. Its mere presence has proved certain things on earth are sacred and indestructible. It is, in our harried world, one of the few traditions that remain. But while long-time Saratogians were upset over the 1962 color change, they got a bit of a reprieve thanks to the result of that year's Traverse, which was won by George D. Widener's Jaipur. Racing colors were blue. Yep, even light blue, mostly. Shortly after the Traverse, the canoe was removed from the lake and repainted. Monday morning, the newly painted canoe was launched and the faces broke into a wide grin because the canoe was light blue, the same as it had been for years and years. With one slight addition, there were several bands of dark blue on the sides, read an article in the Saratogian. Now everyone is happy, tradition has prevailed, even the swans appear satisfied. They circled the canoe in formation as they <laughs> were saluting an old friend. The moral, don't fool with tradition. It's not uh, Fiddler on the Roof. It's tradition. I don't know. Uh, you know, because I watch musicals. <laughs> Uh, a practice of annually painting the canoe in the colors of the Traverse winner eventually became accepted and embraced by the spa crowd. Even when in 2012, Traverse resulted in a dead heat between Godolphin Racing's Alpha and Magic City Thoroughbred Partners' Golden Ticket. The following year, for the first time, Saratoga's Little Infield Lake became the home of two canoes. What color will the canoe be this year? That too we can answer. Keep an eye out for the maroon and white colors of Windchill Thoroughbreds, whose epicenter won the 2022 edition of the Midsummer Derby. And mark your calendars, the next Traverse winner and the next era of the legendary Sogatura, so Saratoga canoe will be decided on August 26, 2023. It's like a couple days. Yeah. It's a week away. Yeah, because if you're listening to this, this is now the 24th of August, so two days. 
Uh, I went on to Google Maps. Like I said, check out Google Maps. And checked out the race course. And you can actually see the canoe on shore. On the north north side yep. of the shore. I can see it. Yeah. Isn't that something? Right? And, and you saw you saw images of the canoe itself? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Different colors every year. Every year. Yeah. How cool, eh? And that's it's and uh, it's been over a hundred years. And they and don't no know one knows. why. No one knows where it came from, why it was there. It's just like it's always been there. Mm-hmm. Like you say, they're saying in 1926 or whatever that yeah, was. 1927. It had already been there. Yeah. 1927. <laughs> it was already in its customary place. That's crazy. So a hundred years later, <laughs> it is still going. Just a little, little things like that are pretty cool. A little, yeah. Quirky. Quirky. So let's stay down in the New York area. After 268 days in his kayak, 1,643 hours of paddling, and a journey of almost 11,000 kilometers, 65-year-old Mark Furman has completed his epic Reverse the Bad Charity expedition across Canada and the United States. 11,000 kilometers. Yeah, and awesome. Don't, and don't confuse this with the cop from the uh, OJ trial. OJ, yeah. This is not the OJ Simpson, Mark Furman. Uh, in doing so, he became the first person to solo kayak the Greater Loop Circuit, beginning and ending in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and traversing the Great Lakes, the Illinois, the Mississippi, the Tennessee, the Tom Bigbee Rivers, before hitting the Gulf of Mexico and heading up the Atlantic Coast. A smiling but understandably exhausted Furman stepped out of his kayak, reading well-wishers with the memorable line, Can I get a beer, please? <laughs> As it transpires, he got more than one. <laughs> yes. Dude must be Canadian. He, he uh, must oh, not he is like too. other the, people. The Canadian native. He's from Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah. Who, uh, who relocated to Oslo, Norway in the 90s, set out from Halifax June 2nd last year, his aim, apart from traveling across North America, was raising much-needed funds for the charities Doctors Without Borders and Captains Without Borders, as well as pushing a message of positivity, community, and caring for our troubled times. It's been a hell of a trip, he exclaims, but worth every minute of exertion, discomfort, and pain, not only to raise money and awareness, but also to have such a genuine experience. One where I feel I've really connected with nature, people, and something deep within myself. Looking back, I'm truly grateful for every day in addition to the immense and touching generosity of an army of supporters en route. That was that long? That's one heck of a trip. Right? You'd have to be retired to do this. And you'd have to be meeting a lot of people too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Furman, who also completed a charity kayak from Oslo to Athens, Greece in 2017, says the last leg of the journey was arguably the toughest of all. He had to navigate through 23 days of continuous fog, tackle extreme tides and currents, particularly in the Bay of Fundy, and struggled to find anywhere to pitch his tent on the rocky, treacherous coastline. That's quite the trip. See, that's the thing is, would you rather do something like that at the beginning or end of a trip? Oh, that's... At the end... You're bagged. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've had do, enough oh, of this. I've had enough of it. But if you do it at the beginning, you're you get like, the hardship oh, over and then... Forget this, man. Yeah. I'm done. So you, you <laughs> either no, save you yourself done... a year of, of paddling, <laughs> 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 or you do it right at the end and, and can't wait for it to be over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I'd rather get it done right at the beginning. Yeah. Right? Because then you have the energy and, the, and you're striving to do it. Or, or then again, maybe towards the end, it's like, well, it's just, I'm in, I'm in the groove. doesn't matter what it's like. Yeah, I'd know, be more along the lines, oh, I don't want, I don't want to end the trip on, a, <laughs> on an exhaustive note. Um, some evenings I had to drag my kayak up three or four meters of rock inclines, while others I was lucky enough to sleep on moored lobster vessels. <laughs> there you go. There were some challenging waves too, as well as lots of ferries, fishing boats to avoid. It's been incredibly draining, and I'm looking forward to a good night's sleep in an actual bed. Also eager to see his family and friends face-to-face, and may throw a small party when he's back in Norway. I think we have to celebrate the fact I survived, he <laughs> said with a big grin, adding, I hope the folks back home feel the same way, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yay, he survived. Gosh darn it, he survived. Uh, well, yay, yay for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark chose the reverse the bad charities as his late wife was a doctor. And Captains Without Borders focuses on providing education, scholarships, and assistance to individuals from disadvantaged backgrounds looking to forge careers at sea. There you go. There is still time to donate to these charities through the Reverse the Bad website. Uh, help these incredibly worthy causes. See mark Irvin E-R-V-I-N dot com. And you can uh, find out how to uh, support them. Quite the trip, though, eh? Yeah, that's... that's- yeah, do you and think, it, it, I wonder if I could go into work and say, "Yeah, can I have like a year off?" I need it. <laughs> There's this, <laughs> this trip I want to do. I got a thing I need to do right? for nine months. I have just even just to look to see the look on his face at work. I'm going to walk into my boss's office and go, <laughs> "Yeah, there's this trip for charity." He'd be so fit afterwards too, right? Yeah, fit to be tied. <laughs> yeah, you can take the the year off and. Do that one, and well, since you're already in the groove, you might as well take the next year off, and the next, <laughs> and the next, and yeah, the yeah, next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I see where you're going with this. So the answer is no. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was that was in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So let's just stick with Nova Scotia, shall we? Enjoying the day. Rick Austin trolled along in his motorized fishing kayak. That's cheating. I know. I, that sticks in my craw. (laughs) Uh, I know why they do it, but motorized fishing kayak. Really? Is that really a kayak at that point? Mm -hmm. Or is it just a fancy boat? It's a small outboard. Right? Small, small fishing vessel. Right. A vessel. Uh, watching his fishing line, he had no idea he's about to experience the biggest adrenaline rush of his life. Austin had fished in Nova Scotia minus basin many times, but usually in a bigger boat. This excursion was his first time fishing from his kayak. Hoping to catch some striped bass, he picked a spot, anchored his kayak, and when nothing bit, he changed tactics and put a live mackerel on the line. Did you ever fish while you were out that way like that, out in the boats? No. No. Oh, once in my, when I was a teenager, we family went out. We uh, did some deep sea fishing. Get anything? I got sick. Yeah, seasick. <laughs> <laughs> Fed the fish. The rest of the family caught. <laughs> yeah, I did catch something. I don't remember much of it. I was very sick that day. Huh. It was lo- there's a long, large swell, and yeah, I, my my uh, my one of my aunts. She was there, and she she managed to puke her uh, dentures out over the side of the boat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, why do you need no dentures? Well, it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she fed the fishes with her oh, teeth. Oh, there's a fish down there smiling. It's creepy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's creepy. Oh, jeez. Uh, he says, I just lowered it right off the side of my kayak. I didn't have to fish very long, and my reel starts clicking. I got something on, and she's pretty big. The reel bent under the weight of the catch. The animal swam beneath the kayak, and Austin got a glimpse of it. Moments later, the massive creature leapt out of the water and exposed its full size. When I saw it, I was pretty shocked, he says. At the same time, or at the time, Austin thought he'd snagged a porpoise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was actually something much deadlier. He'd caught a juvenile great white shark. So still big off, fish, but not as but fully. But Nova Scotia. Well, no, that's not that uncommon. Really? That's not that uncommon. Well, I remember when... Uh, well, I know Alan Drummond was out there and there was a couple big ones. Yes. But now it seems like they're everywhere. They do get up there. You see them often off of Newfoundland. Really? Yeah. I was not aware of and that. And if you look at the tracking websites, there's a couple uh, great whites that are... Being electronically satellite tracked, yeah. that, that you can see their paths go up to. Uh, I thought I thought that they were like an exclusion from the rule. No, I thought they were just weirdos. It's it's not heavily common. It's not like there's thousands of them, but there's always always a few that wander up huh. every year. It's just a few weirdo fish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, the shark was identified by experts from New England Aquarium in Boston and University of Guelph in Ontario. Uh, the great white was between six and eight feet long, weighed. Between 200 and 250 pounds. 
It's the biggest fish I ever, ever hooked, and I've caught a lot of big fish, he says. Austin initially wrestled his catch. Uh, it was moving the kayak over with no problem at all. Concerned for the fish's safety, right, and his own, Austin cut the line when the shark swam under him the second time. There it goes. <laughs> Holy cow, he says at the end of his video. We're going to post a little video. There's a little clip video. Let it go. Uh, yeah, and it shows a pretty good jumping, too. Oh, yeah? yeah oh, yeah. It got some good height. Shark was probably underneath my boat for a while. He says it came back twice to my kayak. The first time when I saw it directly under the kayak, it was just kind of looking at me. Uh, that would have freaked me out a bit. I know, what, right? What would have happened on its third time coming back? I might not have been so lucky because great whites, they like to charge boats, take bites out of boats. They like to leap onto boats. It can be very, very aggressive. I'm glad I cut the line. It's still scary when you think back. My life could have ended right then and there. <laughs> this was Old by dramatic. far the biggest adrenaline rush of my life. Absolutely. Yeah. After letting the great white shark go, Austin stayed out fishing for another half an hour, hour and a half. Something he certainly wouldn't have done if he'd recognized a dangerous animal sooner. Uh, next time I go out there in my kayak, I think I'll have somebody else with me. I don't think I'm going to do that alone next time. <laughs> uh, Mine's basin is along the western coast of Nova Scotia. Uh, I'm just thinking Jaws is coming closer and closer, and pretty soon sharks are going to be in Lake Ontario down the road here. Yeah, it's not far. <laughs> so, and there's been rumors of sharks in Lake Ontario and and so on, but it's always been rumors. Nobody's oh, ever yeah. nobody's ever found one. Yeah, but no, I wasn't aware that there was that many sharks. I thought there was just a few odd sharks happen to get lost. Or well, something there's and not a lot in, of them, but they they do end up up. But there. I mean, there was like three that they were tracking. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize there was more. I'm watching that. Oh, that shark is huge. He jumped right, right? out. See? That's wow. what I'm saying. I'll post that so on, on our social media. Look at that. Right? <laughs> there he is cutting the line. Okay, I've hey, had enough. See ya, suckers. <laughs> and while we're talking about animals out there in canoes. Yes. Uh, you know, whales are fantastic creatures, as we know. Incredibly smart. Uh, being able to recognize, remember, reason, and problem solve, apparently. Mm-hmm. And just when you think you've got them all figured out, you find out something new. Uh-oh. Tail sailing, oh, for example. Oh, yes, yes. A behavior I'd never heard of before. Apparently, it's very common among certain species of whales, like the southern right whale, but is very rarely witnessed by humans. When they participate in tail, tail sailing, or why they participate in it, is still a bit of a mystery. Theories say that it could be an effort to control their body temperature, taking advantage of solar radiation or just the evaporation of water on the whale's skin. It can also be a feeding process, allowing them to easily access organisms close to the ocean floor. Alternatively, the whales could just be using their tails as a sail like the name implies. Mm -hmm. Whatever the reason, very few have had the opportunity to witness tail sailing, and even fewer have caught it on camera. Brody Moss of YBS Youngbloods. Video, they do a whole lot of... Well, check out, check out their Australia, Facebook page. Right? I'm not sure where he's from. I don't think so. They had an Australian accent. You think it was it, Australian? I thought so. I didn't think so. Anyway, uh, if you go to the YBS Youngbloods on Facebook, you'll see all these different videos. Uh, he got some footage while paddling in a transparent kayak, mm -hmm. providing some of the best footage possible. YBS is all about enjoying the ocean, nature, and everything above and below by being selective and sustainable. In the video, Moss sounds absolutely blown away. Just having that close of an encounter with a whale, let alone multiple, because there was a few of them there, in such a vulnerable setup has has to be absolutely mind-blowing, let alone witnessing an incredible rare behavior like tail sailing. Uh, yeah, we'll post a video to this as well. Or you can just Google YBS tail sailing and it it pops right up at the top. Mm -hmm. And But yeah, he's just sees this giant tail yeah. sticking out. Yeah. It's crazy just to see, and the whale, the she had a baby with her and yep. all that. The baby looked like it might have been nursing, not sure, but she just looked like she was having a nap. Well, and is it the big sperm whales? They nap 
Straight up and down. Straight up and down, head up, right? Yeah. 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 But Which this this weird. one was, she was just floating there with her tail out of the water, perfectly stable yeah. and still. Unflinching. And they don't know why they do it, but he's he got some awesome video yeah. of it. And he had to keep backing up, Yeah, too. because the wind was blowing him into her. Right. And, and she wasn't moving, but he was. Yeah, well, he'll move a lot faster than her. Yeah, because he's just floating on top. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah 200 incredible. pounds versus a couple of tons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was incredible video. But yeah, just, this, just this, sitting there. Yeah, face down, like yeah. facing the bottom of the ocean, yeah. and he her got tail some... out of the water straight yeah. up. And what a view in that kayak, right? That clear kayak. Yeah. So he got some good v- video photos through the bottom of the kayak, but as well, he, he dipped his GoPro underwater to get a under, uh, some underwater shots. And this- The baby just... circling. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was That was wild. That was pretty cool. Learn something new every day. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, rafting. Let's talk rafting for a second. Okay. Let's talk about some fun rafting. Oh, yes. This is another video. This is only like a 23-second video. We'll post this one, too, because somebody took it. And let's just say I was expecting to see Frodo and the One Ring. (laughs) A firestorm took many people by surprise, including the guests and guides of a Middle Fork River Expeditions trip. When Paula Wolfson... Uh, signed up to raft the main salmon river for her 70th birthday. She never expected wildfire would consume 48 hours of her trip. Figure you get on a trip, you see all the great sights, all the scenery. You're going to go down the rapids. You're going to be camping. It's going to be an awesome show, right? It was a beautiful day, she said. And then as we moved further down the river, everything changed and we were just in a fire. Wolfson booked the trip through Middle Fork River Expeditions. The owner, James Ellsworth, started running the Salmon River more than 20 years ago. He said that they always talked to the Forest Service before leaving, and they were aware of the Elkhorn Fire. Uh, but at the time, the fire was only about 2,000 acres. We heard there wasn't it wasn't a major fire, he said, and there was smoke, but it wasn't going to impact our trip much. As the fire grew to 20,000 acres the second day of their trip, the Forest Service called it a firestorm. And while I camped on day two, Ellsworth said the fire just kept burning closer and closer. With all the fires that, you know, you see the on TV and you see the footage and all that, you got to be sitting there seeing all this smoke thinking, yeah, yeah. Oh, this ain't good. What, what are we doing here? What's going yeah. on here? What's the plan? As we're seeing the huge fire burst of probably 40 to 50 feet tall, when uh, we then see it jump across the river, at this point I had discussed this enough and just said we're packing up and leaving. Ellsworth said the water was the safest option. Hot and blustering winds were also a problem, making some of the rapids more difficult to run than usual. Wolfson said the guides were all very focused on keeping everyone safe. It was intense and scary because of the smoke inhalation and then the possibility of anything coming down uh, the debris as as debris and puncturing the raft or being in our path. Well, that's exactly it. You're going that's, around and a tree burns on the shore. And falls on you. Or, falls on you. Or it's already or, in the water, you big sweeper ready to catch you up. Right. Uh, altogether, Ellsworth said the fire impacted about 48 hours of the trip. Our group were troopers. I think... For a lot of people, it was just a big wake-up call for the impermanence and also the preciousness of life. When the worst of the fire was behind the group, uh, they celebrated. The rest of the trip went by fire-free. <laughs> Yay. Right? Well, I said, yeah, no more fire. Days later, in safe in her home in California, Wolfson said she still is still processing all that happened on the trip. I would definitely come back, she said, but I might just do day trips. I might not put myself out there for 12 days at a time. (laughs) Well, especially in fire season. Ellsworth said outfitters have always had to deal with wildfire and are constantly assessing the situations while on uh, and off the river. Because wildfire is a part of recreating in Idaho's backcountry during the summer, the river is always changing. He said, nature has a way of regrowing, which makes room for something new. And that's exactly it with all this next year. 
everything's going to oh, look totally good. different. Well, it's going to change. This. So there's, and you hear about it all the time with uh, forest fires and whatnot. It, it it could change the course of the river. It could be, you know, there could be now there's going to be some slides and then cause new rapids and it changes the features on the river just yeah. because the, the with the impermanence of, of the, the way the forest goes and trees, trees hold the ground together most of the time with the root systems. Now with yeah. those gone. Erosion. Yeah, it's going to, things are going to change. It's an ex- it's exciting to be an outfitter in Idaho because things are always so dynamic, Ellsworth says. And at times, the dynamic environment gets super pumped, supercharged through a bit of chaos in terms of the fire and also the rain combination. Regardless, Ellsworth said he does not want to go through a fire like Elkhorn Fire again. Like I say, if, you, if that little bit we saw in that video... Um, if that was it, yeah, that'd be oh wow. But get that, that, get two that days of it, yeah. But two days of that, yeah. Wow. Now you say, oh look, there's Frodo in the the One Ring. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're in Mordor. Uh, While well, fire information officer Brian Harris said outfitters regularly talk to the Forest Service about fire danger, everyone thinking about a river trip should know what could happen. They are still investigating how the fire started. So we'll post that TikTok video so you can see, like I say, 23 seconds of this video with the Elkhorn fire. Like, wow. Could you imagine? It was wild because there was just, it, it looked like it had mostly burned through, but there were still little, these little patches and it looked like, almost looked like a lava field because right. there's so much stuff on the ground that was burning, but it wasn't full, full on flame at the, during the, this period of, of the video that we saw. But it's like, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what else we got here? Oh, Disneyland. Let's talk about Disneyland. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about Disneyland. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. Disneyland canoe races. So DC Guerrilla Orfair. Uh, let's see what they did there. Raised their oars above their heads and sang Queens, We Are the Champions, during a victory lap around the rivers of America. As the home team successfully defended their turf and claimed the Disneyland Canoe Race Championship once again. Apparently they do that quite a bit. Disneyland crowned a familiar champion before the Anaheim theme park opened to the public as the team made up of Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes employees hoisted the fastest on the river trophy. So they do this. More than a thousand employees from Disneyland, Walt Disney Imagineering, and from throughout the company take part in a canoe in canoe races each year. This year, eighty-four teams participated, with eight to sixteen members on each team. So eighty-four teams, eight to sixteen people per team. It's an arduous commitment. Practices begin in June with races starting in July and winners crowned in August. Three months of this. Yeah, that's kind of cool, eh? All of the practice and competition time on the water takes place when the park is closed, typically in the early morning hours just before and after dawn. Racers making the counterclockwise full loop around Tom Sawyer Island paddle in the opposite direction of Disneyland visitors. The lone concession is really the only way... the to strip an otherwise unfair advantage from the race teams made up of Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes employees. Nonetheless, uh, these employees' teams dominate the standings every year. Pride is on the line, after all. It's their job to know the river, plus they get to be out on that River of Americas every day of the year. That's <laughs> The fix is in. That's pretty special. That's kind of cheating. They shouldn't be allowed to go. Or... They have to be divided amongst the other teams. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Canoe races started about 60 years ago. Uh, Disneyland had become a beloved summer tradition for employees that had been exported to Disney parks around the globe. 60 years ago. That's not bad, eh? That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Disneyland canoe races began the summer of 1963 when Indian War Canoes foreman Ray Vanderworker and Jungle Cruise foreman Bob Penfield watched a visitor's canoe filled with athletes charge around the rivers of America at top speed. Hey, look at that. I got to do that. A debate ensued, challenges followed, 
and soon Frontierland and Adventureland employees were battling it out on the water to see which themed land was the king of the river. <laughs> Disneyland canoe races are one of the many unique perks of working at the happiest place on earth, a bucket list experience for many employees, and the reason some apply for the job in the first place. <laughs> When you start looking at more, yeah. getting more into it, there's people working there who's, like, there's one girl, her mother used to oh, work there yeah, yeah. and participated yeah. back in the day in these races yeah. and stuff like that. Family and they tradition. have all these other little things that they do, these all... That's pretty wild. These other perks that they have for employees and stuff like that. So, yeah, pretty weird. And, but, and just to think about it, like, they're, they're saying here that, you know, well, people say, people get jobs there because they want to do this. It's like, I, I want to do that. Right, but the only way I can do it is if I'm an employee. If I'm an employee, well, I guess I'm going to have to work for Disneyland. And these canoes look like birch bark style. Yeah, um, they look like yeah, yeah Voyager yeah. canoes. Yeah, yeah, right to hold eight to sixteen people. Mm-hmm. And normally it's for tourists. Normally for tourists, but like yeah. I say, they get in there before the theme park opens. Yeah, and they have their heats racing <laughs> around, and they okay well. They, they win, they lose, whatever, and then the, the place opens for the day. Yeah. <laughs> right? At least everything, all the canoes are warmed up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all, we test these before, every day we test them before the tourists Every day them. before the tourists show up. We have we to test them. <laughs> test these. But, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe we can go there and race a, a couple of canoes. Well, you could do that route, but as part of a ride, self-powered ride. See, we can just go really <laughs> fast. Rent a canoe for an yeah. hour. <laughs> this canoe jousting. This definitely works better at Disneyland than Disney World. There's alligators on the other coast. Uh, it just makes it more challenging. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think they should do it at both of them. <laughs> and I think they should do like Davy Crockett canoe jousting. Oh, 16 people in a canoe and a big stick yeah. charging full tilt at 16 other people in a canoe <laughs> with a big stick. I think there's, I think the health and safety department and the HR department would have issues with health your- and safety's for chumps. <laughs> you're the safety health and safety, third. You're the health and safety director at your job. <laughs> yeah, except my job. They're not chumps. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that'd be great. And then you just throw some alligators in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just more of an incentive to win, isn't it? That's hilarious. Let's just be competitive. <laughs> and the higher up you get, like quarterfinal, semifinal, oh, yeah. more gators are introduced <laughs> into the America's rivers. Yeah, and piranhas. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh. Maybe some floating fireballs or fire ships yeah, yeah. or something. They get swinging axes. Make it all Indiana Jones-ish. There you go. Kids on the shore with slingshots. Oh, throwing things. Yeah. Grenades, <laughs> sticks of dynamite. Oh, this could be absolutely yeah. cool. And then we're getting into a, what was the Schwarzenegger movie? It was uh, Running Man. Run, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> death Death Race 2000, yeah. <laughs> except in canoes. Oh, the places this place can go. Oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, last thing I got here. It's a bit of a, this sort of goes with... <laughs> Last, last week, last yeah. week's uh, show about the risks and consequences, risks, reward, and consequences. Right? Uh, Nineteen ninety, kayaker Jesse Sharp went over Niagara Falls in a stunt that cost him his life. So you get in your kayak. I'm going to go over Niagara Falls. Woohoo! No, not, that doesn't not, seem like a good idea to there me. There was a woohoo, <laughs> but it wasn't followed by a, yeah, nailed yeah. it. No, it was just a... Yeah, there was just a woo. That was it. (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. Years later, the deadly plunge did not deter Mexican professional kayaker Rafa Ortiz from dreaming for three years of dropping off the massive waterfall that is situated on the U.S.-Canada border. Now, the Canadian side, I believe, is taller. It is, right. 189 feet. Yeah, uh, no, 150 feet. 150 feet. Yeah. There we go. Ortiz's story is the focus of a, do- a documentary which came out in 2016, I think it was, Chasing Niagara, which tracks his training process, the painstaking plan for the illegal drop over the falls in 
14. And the surprising conclusion. Previously, Ortiz had already dropped off the 189-foot Palouse Falls in Washington State. As for the Niagara Falls, the drop is in fact a shorter vertical distance, roughly 150 feet, but much more dangerous due to the sheer volume of water. Well, and that's the thing you see watching these guys do these big waterfalls. Like, they're high, but it's a lick of water. Yeah, yeah. compared to Niagara Falls. And Niagara Falls is even deep underneath, too, Mm -hmm. right? But when you're being chased by billions of gallons of water, that's where Niagara Falls becomes a problem. It just becomes pounding right on you, right? Uh, I looked at Niagara Falls for the first time as a kayaker about five years ago. And this is back in 2013, he was saying this. And that's when the record was already set around 189 feet. So basically what happened to me is that I looked at Niagara Falls, not as Niagara Falls, but as another waterfall. I was insane. Like I was fully obsessed by it. I was fully like cuckoo. I was probably at Niagara Falls for about 20 visits before that final day. I was like fully obsessed, he says. Canadian authorities were on the lookout for a tease uh, who received legal counsel that friends who assisted him could face a lifetime jail term if things went wrong. In the end, he did not follow through on the plunge. So it's $10,000 Canadian, I think 25 US. Fine. Mm -hmm. If you go over the falls on purpose and survive. And survive. Right. You're obviously not going to find a dead person. We could try. <laughs> Hold it against his estate. Yeah. And if you got a group of people helping you and you don't survive. Hating, abetting, or. They could be charged. I would have to assume it would be yeah. in helping cause the death. Yeah. Or something like that. Hmm. aiding in the death or the suicide or however they want to call it of somebody. So they could face life in prison Yeah, for, because you didn't talk him out of it. You egged him on. Yeah. yeah. You murdered him. You assisted him. You assisted him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So such a compliment, a complicated process in those last three years, just kind of crushed down to that couple weeks before the final day where everything fell apart from friendships to allies, to everything. Everything just got like super crazy. It was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. I was chatting with psychologists and I was having like crazy mental breakdowns. He says pro kayaker Rush Sturgis was documenting the process and directed chasing Niagara for a time. Both Ortiz and Sturgis thought they would simply trash and dispose of all the footage. Then unexpectedly the project turned into something else. A look at real-life fears that extreme sports athletes experience and the importance of peer relationships, which sort of ties into that article we were talking about last week, Risks and Consequences. Yes. You know, are people helping you? Are they trying to talk you out of doing the uh, big uh, risk yeah. thing? Like I said, when I last week I was talking about rock climbing. There's some guys I'd go with and we'd push each other and you could sort of tell down the line if it continued where it would go. Yeah. But then you're sort of talking each other out and you're backing away from things because you're just not comfortable there anymore, taking certain risks. And, you know, it's going to go sideways at some point. And this is the same sort of thing is, you know, our, you have those peer relationships and hopefully they're positive and not detrimental. <laughs> exactly, right? yeah. The documented experience has now transformed into something similar to a coming of age documentary for the Mexican kayaker. It's not the story of a kayaker pursuing waterfalls, but more about a kid living a maturing process through a crazy dream or a crazy idea and maturing in the process, working up to that final day. Still, could someone in the sport of extreme kayaking follow his footsteps and complete the journey to the bottom of the falls? Ortiz refuses to rule it out. I do believe that it is still possible. I do believe there's a way to do it professionally, and I don't know about anyone looking at it today. You know, it would be probably take at least a decade for someone to get obsessed about it again, but who knows? So he said that in, 2020, in 2013, yeah. 
And now it's 2023, a decade later. Mm-hmm. Mm, so we'll find <laughs> out anytime soon Maybe. now if somebody's starting to obsess yeah. over this. <laughs> so, so um, And he's the one that has a previous record for 189 feet at Palouse Falls yeah, in Washington State. Yeah, he's got State. 189. So he, he's one of those guys that chase waterfalls. Yeah. We, saw, we saw a video of a girl that did waterfalls. Nuria. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so a lot of these people they they do challenge themselves to these waterfalls. Who can do the biggest drop and and whatever, right? So it's it's I think it's interesting that they changed the perspective of their of their video and their documentary, and now it's about the the mental part of going through this kind of stuff and realizing at the end there's more to it than just going over that fall. Yes, yes. You know, you got to yeah. make the decisions at the end. So. Uh, at the time, you know, back in 2016, there was, you know, you had to buy this and rent it and all that. But if you Google chasing Niagara Red Bull, yep. there is a link to the site that comes up Okay, and you can watch the whole hour oh, and a half, right on. I think it's an hour and a half movie or something like that. So you can actually watch the movie for free now. See, that's a benefit of doing this. Talking about <laughs> <laughs> after the fact. Yeah. Talking about it with an eight year old, nine year old <laughs> video. Uh, so yeah, chasing Niagara Red Bull. Google that. Uh, I'll probably, again, put up a link for this one. As well. Apparently, I'm just going to be posting video after video link this week. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, check that one out because it, it really will give you a, another look at, you know, risk and consequence sort of thing and how, yeah, you know what, you get obsessed by an idea, but as time goes by, you realize, yeah, maybe I better look at this a different way and your mind changes and it develops into something completely different. Uh, and that is all I've got. Mm-hmm. You got anything else? I have an update on the Arctic Cowboys. I forgot to track them, and I will stop paying attention because I know they had they had transitioned from east to west across the channel, mm-hmm. and they, at about the August eighth, they made it to Fort Ross, and so there's a passage through none of it to get to the other side. So from day 40 to day 41, they made through that channel. And that channel, the, the ice, the little bergy bits and stuff flow back and forth depending well, on the tides, the tides right? Yeah. So you have to go with the tides to get through, watch you don't get crushed by the bus size ice cubes. And uh, so now they're far, far down the south end. It looks like they're getting ready to cross over to uh, Prince William, uh, the Google... Google's not being my friend, but uh, anyways, they're they're not far from Cambridge Bay now. Okay. So I'd say within a, a week or two, they'll be in Cambridge Bay. Cambridge Bay is about the 60% mark. So they're about 45% of the way through uh, they're now. They're boogieing pretty good. They're moving, yeah. yeah. After that big, you know, hold up at the beginning because of the ice. Yes. Now they're really, yeah. really cooking it. So, so that's they are, nice they're to moving see. quite well. That's nice to see. So they're going to be in Cambridge Bay soon, within the next week or two. And then... Uh, it looks like they're well on the way to finding success. Good, good. We had a friend here, by the way, from a friend of ours from Germany came and stayed with us for a couple of days. Oh, okay. She works on cruise ships. Oh. Antarctic trips, Alaskan oh. trips, and whatnot. Nice. Thinking, oh, that'd be awesome to yeah. go and hit one of those. But it's all German people in it. So you wouldn't be able to talk to anybody. Well, and generally, they, they know a lot of English. In Germany, they, they know yeah. enough, but it's pretty much if you're not German or you don't yeah. speak German, I guess I should yeah. say. You won't get the full experience. You're not going to get the full experience. I didn't realize they had ships like non-English only sort of yeah. Yeah. ships. Yeah. So I figure, well, at least if Tracy and I go on one of those cruises, Tracy can hang out with a friend that she rarely sees because she's from Germany and <laughs> yeah. we're not. Yeah. But no, that probably wouldn't be the case. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing some of the pictures of, of, and whatnot, and I still want to go on one of the cruises and do little kayaking day trips in Antarctic and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Uh, anyway, uh, if you got nothing else, I've got nothing else. I've got nothing else. I hope you're having a great time camping right now. It's fantastic. Excellent. Oh, watch out. Don't burn yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
You can download or stream all our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can stream or download all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>